Good evening, folks. Robert, I'm glad you weren't here this morning because, to be honest, I wouldn't really want to have to deal with Hillary when she comes to me complaining that you skipped your grandson's dedication. So I'm glad, actually, you weren't here just for my own safety. Uh, this evening, folks, we'll be continuing on uh, with the, the first chapter of Galatians. And this morning, if you weren't here, we, we were looking at Paul's defense of himself as an apostle and his defense uh, of the gospel. And these false teachers, these Judaizers were coming into the, the Galatian church and they were spreading sort of false teaching, really. It's just it's exactly what it is, just utter falsehoods uh, about the gospel. They were adding things to it and saying, you need to do this, this and this to be saved. Uh, and the whole, the whole chapter here is Paul's defense of the, the true gospel. And the Galatian believers were fall, falling for these lies that people were, were spreading. And it was up to Paul then to defend uh, the gospel. And he does that by, by telling them that, look, Christ is enough, uh, enough uh, for your, your salvation. And this evening, uh, we just, we're just continuing on with the second half, uh, verses 11 through the 24. Uh, but it, Paul changes tack slightly here. And instead of focusing on the Galatian believers turning their back uh, on God and turning their back on the true gospel... Paul focuses on how the gospel has changed his life and uh, how it's true and trustworthy and what it's done uh, in, his, in his life. Uh, but before we get into our passage, let's just take, a moment to, just take a moment to pray. Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, and we ask that you'd be with us tonight. We ask that you would speak to each of us, Lord, and challenge each of us, Lord, and just reveal your word afresh to each of us, Lord. We thank you for this book of Galatians, Lord, uh, where we can read and we, we understand from what Paul's writing that you are enough for us, Lord. And we just ask tonight that you would speak to us again, that you would challenge us uh, about our standing before you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read together Galatians chapter 1 and verses 11 through to 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's, that's Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brothers. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Amen. I wonder if you've ever thought about the word radical. Uh, one definition puts it like this. It was really hard to find a definition for this online. Well, a decent definition. But one of them uh, says that radical people 
believe that there should be great changes in society, and they try to bring about these changes. So to do something radical is to just completely buck the trend and just say, no, we're going to do our own thing and do something completely different and a bit extreme. And we hear this word tossed around all the time, whether it's religious radicals or maybe there's uh, a radical political uh, radical political changes or maybe in business uh, radical policy changes or maybe someone has a radical agenda. And one radical change that we have experienced, and I know it's been a very controversial subject over the past uh, lot of months, is this new radical legislation on abortion and gay marriage that has been brought to us. Uh, these laws have been forced on this country by radically liberal UK politicians, most of whom who have never set foot in Northern Ireland. And we hear this, we've heard this word radical used uh, in reference to this, these new laws. And our government and the society in which we live seeks to try and move us forward and improve what, uh, improve uh, the way we live. Uh, but this culture in which we live, this radically changing culture, uh, people think that this is a good thing, that we are being pulled in a different direction than we, we are used to. But in reality, uh, they're pulling us away from God and they're pulling us away from, from Christ. And they're pushing our nation farther and farther from God. And this evening, I want to spend a bit of time and think about the gospel. And think about the radical gospel. Because all this stuff that goes on with government or with online and media and all this here, stuff that tries to make us more progressive, ultimately it all does the exact same thing, which is pull us further from God. So it's not really radical at all because it's all doing the same thing. But the gospel is truly radical. And I want to spend some time tonight talking about how the gospel is radical. And talking about this good news of how the Lord Jesus came to save a broken world. And how he died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. And how that is completely different to anything the world offers. And completely different to anything that people offer. We are a fallen broken people we're fallen in sin and we've committed crimes before God and we're full of this stuff that just a sin that stops us from following God and because of that we are destined for punishment and only a radical gospel and a radical love of God and Christ can save us and there are several several things that make the gospel radical and the first is that it's radically trustworthy let's recap just verses 11 and 12 here for i would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for i did not receive it from any man nor was i taught it but i received it through a revelation of jesus christ so the gospel has been revealed to paul not by any man but from god and then he goes into verses sort of 13 to 16 and he explains sort of what he lived like before as a little testimony style thing and we'll come back to those verses but let's just skip to the second half uh, of verse 16 and we'll go through to verse 20 and this is after he was converted uh, he says i did not immediately consult with anyone nor did i go up to jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but i went away into arabia and returned again to damascus then after three years i went up to jerusalem to visit cephas and remained with him 15 days but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. 
And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. At the start of the chapter, Paul defends himself as an apostle. He defends his apostleship. He defends himself as a messenger from God. And now he finds himself having to defend the message. These Judaizers were attacking the the church of Galatia with this false gospel. And they were attacking the authority uh, that Paul had. And they were clearly attacking the the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of Paul's message. And since they believed and they argued that Paul, Paul is fake and Paul is false, since that was their view of Paul, surely they would have thought, nah, that message is utter rubbish as well that Paul's preaching. And what's interesting here that Paul doesn't respond to that with a harsh theological stripping down. He comes to them and says, look, folks, the gospel isn't from man. And he just simply tells them where the gospel came from. It's not man-made. I didn't make this. Uh, this isn't a, a figment of my, uh, my imagination. The gospel came from God. He could have started picking holes in their arguments against him and their arguments against the gospel. He doesn't do that. He replies quite calmly, look, this isn't from man, but from God. You may have thought that I've invented this, but actually, in reality, I couldn't invent anything, anything like this. And then from verses 13 through to 16, he talks of this conversion experience that he has and what he was like in his past. And then from verses 16... Uh, he looks he looks, and he tells him, I went to Jerusalem. I spent some time with Peter, uh, Cephas, as he was known. I saw James, the Lord's brother. I didn't spend long enough for, the, for their opinion to be forced upon me. I was there for 15 days. Uh, there's no way they could have influenced my thinking, so it must mean that the gospel has come from God. It couldn't have come from the other apostles. And just notice that actually he names James, just side note here, I might go off on a tangent, that he names James as an apostle, just as James, the Lord's brother. So these Judaizers, they were accusing Paul of not being an apostle because he wasn't one of these, of the 12 disciples that Jesus had chosen. But actually neither was this James. James was the Lord's brother. So it actually proves that James is in the same boat as Paul. He is an apostle because Christ made made him an apostle. And that sort of shores up Paul's, Paul's the apostleship. The gospel that Paul has preached, it hasn't been influenced by the apostles in Jerusalem. It hasn't been influenced by Peter. And even after his conversion, what does he say? He didn't go and he didn't speak with anyone. He didn't go and chat to anyone and say, oh, what do you think about this? You need to tell me, explain this to me. He doesn't get men to explain it to him. And actually, it tells us in verse 17 that he went away into Arabia. And many scholars believe that when he went there into the desert place, that he went to to spend time in prayer and spend time with the Lord to grow in faith and to grow closer to his newfound master. And if this was the case, it wouldn't have been man shaping Paul's gospel. It would have been the Lord shaping Paul's gospel, the Lord working in his life. And... How do we know then that the gospel is radically trustworthy? Well, Paul, it's because Paul says, look, it didn't come from man, it came from God. Because we are living in a sinful, and because Paul was living in a sinful, broken world, the opinions of man and the thinking, uh, thinking of these scholars and philosophers of the time, that couldn't be trusted because they were sinful and they were broken right from 
Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all throughout history, mankind has been broken with sin. And if the gospel had have been a figment of mankind's imagination, if man had have created the gospel, then it would have failed. It would have failed epically. But Paul says, no, it was revealed to me by God, by Christ. Man is sinful and any creation of ours would have failed. But God, on the other hand, is perfect and holy. So for the gospel to come from this perfect, holy God, that must mean that it can be trusted. The inventions of man fail, but the revelations of God endure. Turn to the book of Numbers and verse 23, or chapter 23, sorry, and verse 19. And it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is not man. He does not lie. He is trustworthy. Think of when all throughout the Bible, when God had said to people like Moses, right, go and rescue the children or the Israelites and take them out of Egypt. And God told them that he would deliver them into this promised land. And did God fulfill that promise? Absolutely. Because he is a trustworthy, promise-fulfilling God. And so surely this gospel plan, this truth of how mankind can be saved from their sin truly god is not going to lie about that and he can be trusted uh, to fulfill that but what does this what does this mean for us now well our situation is exactly the same as the galatians situation we are still living in a broken sinful world we are still living in a society where money and authority and sex and popularity and everything is sort of just in your face and these are the important things in life and governments and media outlets and influencers and celebrities no matter what they tell us it cannot compare to what god will promise us see the world has taken all this stuff that like money, for example, and it's taken leadership and it has skewered it and deformed it and ruined it. Mankind is a failure because of sin. The inventions of man will fail because of sin. But God, God is trustworthy and God is true. The Bible says he does not lie. And folks, don't be falling for the things of this world. Don't be falling for... Oh, this is what such and such says, so I must do this. Or this is what they say, so I need to follow, follow them. Follow God, because only God can be trusted. Think of his word and think of how it says he does not lie. We can rely on nothing else to save us but Christ. Think of his promises to his people when he led them out of Egypt and how he kept those promises. God revealed the gospel to Paul. And that is, if that is the same God the same God who keeps his promises to Moses and to all, all the people through, the, through Scripture, if that is the same God who revealed the gospel to Paul, then we can trust him just like Paul could. God is perfect and holy and does not lie. Scripture tells us we can trust him. So that is how we know, firstly, how the gospel is radically trustworthy because we cannot trust what the world tells us, but we can completely trust what God 
tells us. Nothing that man produces can ever be beneficial for our salvation. Man is limited, but God is unlimited. And Paul tells the Galatians that it is, this isn't from me. This is from God. This gospel, I didn't make this up. I couldn't make this up. Uh, This is from God. It's not a project of sinful mankind, uh, but it is a perfect truth from God. So, the gospel is radically trustworthy. And if this isn't enough sort of proof to make you to trust the gospel, our next point will hopefully be able to, to even reinforce that, that the gospel is radically trustworthy. And we'll read, we'll remind ourselves here of verses 13 through the 16 of our passage. Uh, for you have, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, why I persecuted the church of God violently, and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul has given us a bit of a a two-minute testimony here, just a little snippet of his life from verses 13 through to 16. And he starts by reminding the Galatians, look, you guys knew where I came from. You guys knew my background. He didn't make any sort of, he didn't try and hide it. He didn't say, oh, I'll just not tell anybody actually what I've been up to and I'll just put that and keep that hidden. He doesn't do that. He's quite open about where he has come from. And I thought actually, I wonder how often we try to hide things. Uh, just for the sake of saving face and keeping up appearances. But Paul was having none of that. He reminds the Galatians of his former life and how he persecuted the church of Christ violently and tried to destroy them. And he was a student of Judaism. He studied hard. Uh, He learned the the, the law. And he was advancing well beyond anybody else of of his people in in the same age as him. Paul must have known the truth of the gospel before he came to Christ before his conversion. Because why else would he hate the church and hate the Lord Jesus so much as to try and destroy them? He must have known during his studies of Judaism, he must have realized and heard the truth of the gospel message, but it had not yet taken root in his heart and he hated the church for following Christ. So he tried to destroy them. Paul seemed to be a bit of a madman, driven mad by the church, driven mad by this prospect that people could be saved uh, because Christ died for them and not for all the the good deeds and everything that they have done. And we know from the book of Acts uh, that he tried everything in his power to destroy the church. And the book of Philippians tells us, let me just read it to you. Don't turn to it. I'll just read it. Philippians 3, verse 4 4 to 6, tells us, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul talking about himself, saying he has got more more reason to be confident. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor, of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless clearly had a bit of a big ego as well before he uh, 
uh, he came to Christ, and he thought, yeah, I am the man, and I am going to destroy the church, and I can do this, and I hate the church, and I am absolutely going to rip them apart. He was crazy about the destruction of the church. But then we see how the gospel is radically transformative and how there's a radical change and transformation in Paul's life. This was a man who actively tried to destroy the church, but now was transformed into a preacher of the gospel and a servant of God. Perhaps even you're in a similar position. You might not be some sort of religious zealot, uh, but you may maybe... You, maybe you don't know God, or maybe you, you've had experience of church and you think, ah, oh, not for me. I don't like those Christians. You're probably just right not to like them. But anyway, maybe you think, no, I don't like this church thing, this God thing. No, keep that away from me. Or maybe you're, you're just going along and you've never actually really been to the church and really engaged with, with what's being said from the pulpit or from different groups or from the Bible. Maybe you're completely lost and you don't know where to turn. Paul was in the completely, on a complete different direction than he should have been. But Christ lifted him out of that and set him on a new trajectory. And he transformed his life. And the gospel can radically transform your life as well. We think back to Genesis in the beginning when God created the heaven and the earth and he created everything in them and it was created perfect and it was good and mankind was created perfect and good and we were built for a perfect relationship with God and with each other. Uh, but then we decided that, you know what, we'll just do our own thing. And we, we turned our backs on God and we rebelled and disobeyed him. And as a result, we have sin where every person since has been born with this natural ability to hate God and to disobey God and to turn their back on him. But this good and perfect God who revealed the gospel to Paul cannot and will not have sin. Uh, he sees it as utterly disgusting and seeing, sees it as something that needs to be dealt with and something that needs to be punished. And God could have utterly wiped us out and could have completely destroyed mankind whenever they turned their back on God. But he decided, no, I will send the Lord Jesus and he will live a perfect, sinless life. And he will go to the cross and die a death that these people, these human beings should have died. And I will send my son and he will suffer in their place because if they were to face my wrath, they could not bear it. Christ died and he rose again and that means that each of us can come and we can accept that salvation, that grace uh, that he offers, that radical transformative gospel, that good news of Jesus. If we would only accept that Christ has taken the punishment for our sin, then we would be completely transformed. Maybe you're stuck in sin and you feel, oh, my life is just, I feel like I'm absolutely drowning. Turn to the gospel. Or maybe you're thinking, do you know what? Life's okay. And I can do this on my own. I would encourage you, especially, turn to the gospel because you cannot 
save yourself. Or maybe your life is utterly in turmoil and everything seems to be going wrong around you. Turn to the gospel and let Christ radically change your life. This wasn't Paul's gospel. This wasn't man's gospel. This was Christ's gospel. And Christ transforms lives. And each person who's a Christian in here has had that experience of the transforming power of the Lord Jesus. And what we're going to do now, um, I've got a little video that we're going to put on. Uh, This is a guy, I've become really good friends with him over the past few months. And he's got... For years he wasn't a Christian, and this is just a little testimony video. For years he wasn't a Christian, and his life was really a complete disaster, and he didn't know where else to turn, and it was a complete mess. But then he had an encounter, just like Paul, with the Lord Jesus, and the gospel radically transformed his life. Uh, his name's Shawnee, and I just I asked him uh, last week, he said, Shawnee, right, I need you to do we interview here. I'm just going to ask you, tell me about before you became a Christian, about becoming a Christian, and then what life has been like after. So Shawnee will tell you a bit about his uh, story uh, and how uh, the Lord Jesus has changed his life. Back into 
employment and of his own employment. Should have warned you, Shawnee's got quite a thick <laughs> Scottish accent. Um, maybe only John Melvin would be able to understand him. Um, no, but that is a life that has been completely transformed by the Lord Jesus. And if that doesn't add more surety and validity to the trustworthiness of the gospel, then I actually don't know what else will. The gospel is radically trustworthy and it is radically transformative. 
transform Paul's life, transform Shawnee's life, and it can transform anyone's life. So thirdly, uh, our last few verses in the first chapter of Galatians, uh, from verse 21 through to 24, let me just read them to you. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Paul had traveled into the, the northern regions of Syria and Cilicia, and we can presume or assume that he was preaching the gospel there. And he writes of the, the Judean churches and how he was still unknown in person to them. So basically, if Paul had a, I imagine if Paul had to walk down the street past one of them, they wouldn't have recognized each other because um, he had never really been there amongst those believers. But they might not have known what he looked like. They might not have uh, been great buddies with him, but they knew that this was someone who had persecuted the church violently, who had tried to destroy the church, who hated Christ, um, but who had been radically transformed uh, by the gospel and turned around. And now that he has been transformed, he is now preaching that gospel that he sought to, to wipe out. And I was thinking, maybe what is the equivalent to this uh, now? And I was thinking about Richard Dawkins, this guy who, sort of big atheist fella, who has been for years advocating that Christianity is the biggest load of nonsense. Uh, this is the equivalent of him coming to faith and then getting up uh, and starting to preach the gospel. We would be quite skeptical, I imagine, uh, about that. And we would be like, oh, is this, is this legit here? What's, what's happening? But the believers in Judea, they weren't skeptical of Paul's conversion. They weren't, uh, oh, what's going on here? No, they, what did they do? They praised God for this transformed life. They saw that this was someone who had been completely broken and completely covered in sin, but now he has been redeemed and he has been made anew by the Lord Jesus. The gospel is radically triumphant. It's triumphant over the power of sin and triumphant over the power of death. And for Paul, the great enemy of the church to have been saved, this was something for the church. This was a triumph. This was uh, for a time of rejoicing uh, needed to happen after this that Paul had become a Christian and was now preaching the gospel and how amazing it is for Christians to see other people come to faith and it gives great joy as we can see here that these people praise God because of Paul and I wonder uh, tonight uh, just as we finish will you accept Christ and rejoice and let the gospel be triumphant in your life over that sin and the darkness that covers each of us before we come to the Lord. I wonder, will you allow Christ to transform your life? And if you do, you will rejoice uh, because it is, a, it is a glorious time and it is a time uh, to praise God for. And we will rejoice with you. But also the Bible tells us that even angels in heaven, when somebody comes to Christ, the angels rejoice the gospel is radically triumphant. It rips us out of sin and rips us out of the, this current that sin is pushing us along and it puts us on a new path toward the Lord Jesus. And the Judean believers rejoiced over Paul's conversion. I wonder, will we rejoice with you tonight? The gospel is radical. 
It's radically different to anything that the world offers us. It's completely opposite uh, and is the complete opposite of anything that is offered to us. It's radically trustworthy. God always keeps his promises. He cannot and he will not lie. And if he, this trustworthy God, is the author, author of the gospel, then we can trust it. The gospel is radically transformative. It'll take the most vile, disgusting sinner and put them and make them new. It will give them new life. It will turn all our lives around if we would only trust in Christ. Paul was transformed, as was Shawnee. And if you're a Christian in here tonight, then you have been transformed too. But if you're not, I wonder, do you want that transformation in your life? I would encourage you to think about it and mull over it and make the decision to follow the Lord Jesus and to accept this radical gospel that he offers. We cannot do anything for our own salvation. We can't add to the gospel. We can't do anything that will save us. It is only through Christ that we can be saved. No matter what radical politics or radical worldviews are forced upon us, the gospel overcomes it all. It's truly radical, truly different, and truly life-changing. And tonight, will you accept it? Let's pray, and I'll... Is there a song? Ah, are we... There is a song? Yes, okay, so... Let's pray. And if anyone's here this evening and wants to, to accept Christ for the first time, please speak to somebody. Uh, don't...